this morning is probably going to be the shortest sermon I've ever preached. We're going to be in 1 John, the second chapter. And we're going to talk very briefly about the depths of his love. Somebody say the depths of his love. <clears throat> 1 John, um, beginning at the second chapter, reading verses 3 through 7, and then jumping down to verses 15 through 17. That's 1 John 2, 3 through 7, and then 15 through 17. It says, by this we know that we know him. Somebody say, I know him. If we keep his commandments, there's only one qualifier to our knowledge of God, and it is if we do what? He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. <laughs> this is the New Testament covenant of grace Bible we're reading. Is a liar and what? The truth is not in him. So not only are you telling a lie, you don't even have the capacity for truth because it's not in you. But whoever keeps his word, am I still in the Bible? Truly the love of God is what is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. In other words, we're not creating a new doctrine. This has been established from time immemorial. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. That means this is canceling out the propensity of human nature to switch up when you get in the middle of a thing. Somebody say the old commandment, which we've heard from the, it didn't change. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. That speaks more about the systems of the world than the actual dirt. If anyone loves the world, here's your qualifier. Only God can judge me. No, we all judging you. We're righteous judgment. Every time you post something, we're judging you. Because if what you gravitate to is more in the world well then the scripture says if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him we're talking about appetite we're talking about affection we're talking about desire for all that is in the world it can be summed up in three dynamics or three dimensions all that is in the world the lust of the flesh Got a case of the can't help it. The lust of the eyes. That's the worst kind of lust. Because you lusting and it's not even fulfilled. So it becomes a controlling power that dictates everything. Because you're going after something you can't attain. And the pride of life. Now, there's many dynamics to the pride of life. Part of the pride of life is I can live haphazardly and God's going to still accept my sacrifice. That's the pride of life. Okay. It's not of the Father, but is of the... I think that's in there. 
Now, watch this, and this is why you can't love the things of the world, because the sentence upon the world has already been passed. And the world is passing away. God doesn't want you connected to what's already damned. Do y'all see it? Do you see his justice? So if he has condemned the world, the system, to hell, and you attach yourself to the world, he can't stop you from going to hell, even though his love wants to restrain you. Because you decided to connect to something that was already doomed for destruction. Well, it says, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God does what? I think it's abundantly clear. Watch this. We got to deal with very quickly. This is going to be the shortest sermon I've ever preached. The all-encompassing nature of God's love really transcends our finite experience as human beings. It really, it, it transcends what we call love. In most human interactions, what we consider love is emotion and sentimentality. It's not the principle of love. We say, I love you when we have a warm, fuzzy feeling. And then when we don't have the warm, fuzzy feeling, we no longer love you. We say, oh, I just stepped on something. We say we love you as long as you're doing for us what we're expecting. But the moment, come on, y'all, I'm in the church. But the moment you can no longer perform or provide a service, now we question your love. Pastors do it too. We guilty. You done served for 35 years from puberty to AARP. And the one Sunday you don't show up, now we got to question the motives. See, the Lord told me. We've been waiting for 35 years for you to do one thing. We're guilty. Come on, let's be. It's human nature. The, the second someone doesn't provide for us an experience of sentimentality, now we question everything about them. But God's love is not governed by the dictates of our soulish nature. Now watch this. His love cannot also, it, it is also not defined by our dysfunctional experiences. Because we've had people say they love us, but they abused us, and we normalize the dysfunction. Because for some of us, you love me was followed by our head getting bashed into the wall. Okay. Okay. Some of us, <laughs> I'm doing this because I love you. And it's hurting me more than it hurts you. I beg to differ. Because only one of us is crying. But it conditioned us to believe that there's injury in love that we have to accept. Come on, y'all know. Because there's a psychological construct to why they had to whip the slaves into obedience. So we pass that on to our children. When we beat the snot out of them, why? Because they didn't provide a sentimental feeling. Because most parents don't discipline out of principle. You do it when you get ticked off. Let's tell the truth because the kids know the difference. Because if it's really principle, you might be crying more than I'm crying because it really is hurting you more. But if you ticked off and you're trying to expend anger, that's abuse. That's not discipline. 
So we have normalized spaces where love has been injurious. And so we have an expectation that when God says he loves us, we're waiting for him to drop the ball or to hurt us just like all of the other loves in our lives. Waiting for him to drop the ball. Waiting for him to give us a false hope. Waiting for him to promise and not fulfill. But if we're going to deal with the love of God, listen to this, we have to, we have to approach it from the standpoint that his love is all-encompassing and it takes in his omniscience. See, God will love you enough to let you go to hell so that you cannot be in heaven talking about he made you serve him. Because he's all out of church splits. Huh? One and done. Hit it and quit it. That one church split that happened in Isaiah 14 when Lucifer got the idea that he could be greater than God, that was the only time God allowed his church in heaven to be split. So he's not letting us come in there when we are not conducive to the atmosphere and the environment of heaven. This is why he's telling us to clean it up. Not because he wants your life to be born, because he wants you to actually have a life. Because when we violate the principles of life, what do we give permission to? Death. But he'll love us enough to allow death to run its course. See, we don't know how much God's love is selfless. He'll take himself out of the equation and give you what you desire. God, give me this job and I'm going to praise you. The job going to take you out of every service. Your spirit going to die on the vine. Your anointing is going to dry up. But he going to give it to you because he loves you. Because you begged and pleaded, God, if you just, if you just open this door. He loves you enough, watch this, to allow you to choose to love someone or something more than him and he won't stop you. See, if we really got, oh, I, I'm almost done. What did I say? The shortest sermon? If, if we look at love outside of sentiment and look at it in terms of focus, then you can take a better assessment of what you really love. Amen. Who gets your attention? Think about it. Who gets your affection? Who gets the core of your attention and your strength? Or what? Some of you love your gift more than God. And he gave you the gift. That's why it's raggedy. You love a raggedy gift. It's too early. It's too early. It's too early. I got it. Some of us love relationships more than we love God. Some of us love our friends more than we love God. Some of us love our church more than we love God. Because you always in here raising hell, but God can't get no love out of you. Y'all ever see somebody come in and be like, close the door? Okay, it's way too early, Jess. You're not praying. You're not praying, Jess. Pray. I'm telling you. Let me get to the notes. The shortest sermon ever told. Here's God's love. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down 
to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, the Lord Jesus speaking, if you do whatever I command you. So we've gone from servants to friends, but the operative word is obedience to the command. That means in order to really walk with him and love him, you got to be close enough to hear. Because he's not going to shout the command. You got to walk with him in such a way that in the still small voice that is heard in intimacy, you can hear the directive. When the last time God told you to do something? This morning. I believe that. And besides Elder Debbie, what did you do with the command? See, there's some people that wake up in the morning and God will say, leave that church. But you don't realize he's elevating us in that instruction to tell you to leave. See, oh, God told me to leave. Oh, he did. He definitely did. I believe that. I watched him tell you. But you think it's because of elevation and you're really being demoted. Because he won't put more on you than you can. Sometimes salvation is too much for you. So he'll put you in a place that's contaminated. That's more, that, that can more accommodate your persona. Without the challenge. Now what happens when you get into eternity, I don't know. Because he's going to ask, what did you do with what I called you to do? So if he called you to soar with eagles and you down there in the chicken coop, I don't know what that conversation looks like in, in, uh, in the eternal construct. I don't know what that looks like. But there are people that he will, he will redirect you. But every redirection is not another level. Sometimes God has judged that you are so beyond repair that instead of allowing us to be contaminated, he will literally speak to you and tell you to go somewhere else where he may not necessarily be overly concerned about the contamination. Nobody has a problem with the dump being the dump. Anybody ever went to the dump and tried to clean it up? You just put more stuff in there that is conducive to the dump. Oh, okay. He'll love us enough to permit us to choose destruction. Now, he'll warn us along the way. He'll warn us. He'll warn us. But he's not going to choose for you. Point number one. God's love is only experienced through the experiential knowledge of him. Okay? So the word there in the, the first John 2 and 3 text and says, uh, now by this we know him, the word in the Greek is gnosko, which means to know by experience. It's not a mental ascent. It's not I've been in church my whole life so I know God. It's not that. It's the kind of knowledge and experience that you get when you are up close, personal, and intimate with someone, when you've had a real exchange. Can I present to you that most of us don't know people? Because we only know them by their tailored social media content. You can tag that you in Dubai and you sitting right there downtown New Haven. 
and here we are thinking you traveling the world. You ain't been nowhere that the bus can't take you. But if we judge by the content, when we meet you, we think, ooh, you done been to Dubai. Ooh, you ain't been nowhere but to Chipotle. We have to, we have to, we have to get out of, <laughs> we've got to get, <laughs> oh Jesus, I don't know if I'm a preacher or a comedian, I, the stuff, the content that I hear to say, it's creative, no, 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 I'm telling, the stuff that I hear, oh. It's good content, man. <laughs> Woo! We got to get out of the superficial and get back to experience, right? Because there are people that we might gravitate towards when we see their, you know, contrived content that if we actually got to know them, it would be different. Because yes, then we would realize that your values, like we learned yesterday, we don't agree with. Acts 20, 28, you got to guard the flock of God over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Paul talked about when he was preparing for his departure that savage wolves were going to come in. But you know what? The wolf coming in is one thing. But the sheep that talk to the wolves, to me, are more dangerous. Because that means you have an appetite for destruction because that wolf is going to turn and take your head off at some point because he's going to get hungry. How can two walk together except they be agreed? So, Pastor Ann, we were just talking about this the other day. We're like, you know, sometimes you try to sound alarms. You try to protect people. But the reality is, Prophet, sometimes the appetite in the people is more conducive to what you're trying to warn them against. Than where you're trying to bring them. You gotta let God do it. Somebody said you gotta know Him by experience. Ephesians 1:17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So it's our knowledge of Him that brings us into the real experience of who He is. Someone say experiential knowledge. So you know him to be a healer when he heals you. You know him to be a deliverer when he delivers you. You know him to be a way maker when you're in a place where you don't think the way is going to be made. And then he steps in at that last minute and he makes a way. And so some of our experiences are literally God building an experiential resume in our understanding. It's not that he can't deliver. It's that he wants to prove to you that he can deliver. It's not that he can't heal, but he wants to prove to you that he's a healer. So he'll drop you in an affliction. And let you sit there long enough to know that you really have it so that he can lift you up and prove that he is Jehovah Rapha. And so our experience, and this is why you cannot, you cannot neglect people that have a history with God because they're able to deposit something or impart something into your life that the people that are out here that don't know him who are just confessing something will never be able to give you. And this is where, and I don't have an issue with, with, with young preachers. I started preaching when I was 18 years old. I don't have an issue with that, but you got to stay in your lane. 
because you can't just get some concepts that you heard someone else preach who's walked with God for 50 years and then you preach it and think you're going to get the same result. It's not going to happen because you haven't lived long enough to have that experience. I don't mind you being a 15-year-old preacher, but I've been married for almost 23. Not much you're going to give me as a 15-year-old preacher in my marriage. I have underwear older than you. And I'm not refuting your calling. I'm just saying it's not for me. Now, it might be for you. You might hear something or, you know, whatever. Shande, let it, let it be what it needs to be for you. But the point just is that you cannot negate history. You cannot negate experience. Paul said to the church of Corinth, I long to come to you that I can impart some spiritual gift so that you may be established. In other words, he had something that could bring them where they were not. He got that out of his history with God. Somebody say it has to be experienced. Number two, the love of God causes transformation. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the and did what? Uh-oh. You don't want me in no meeting. Because you being the head of the house mean more than you put the britches on. It means you take responsibility for that house. Well, let's keep going. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the what? By the word. So here's the dynamic. Jesus loves the church, gave himself up completely for the ecclesia. Somebody say amen. amen. Husbands, love your wives in the same way, that you might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of water by the word. So just like Jesus cleanses the church by what he says, even when you don't want to be cleansed by it, even when he's rebuking something that you don't want to have rebuked, he cleans up the church by what he says to the church. So then, husband, you clean up your wife by what you say to your wife. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish. So if your wife got spots, wrinkles, or blemishes, it's your fault. You got to cleanse her and get rid of the spots, the blemishes, and the wrinkles by what you say. You can't go iron the spots and the blemishes and the wrinkles in deeper. Husbands, love your wives. Okay. The wives are taking notes. The husbands are blocking me out, but it's okay. We'll keep going. They say, yep, I'm going to use that. Uh-huh. See this wrinkle? You did it. And then, and then sometimes, can I just throw this in? It's not marriage seminar. We're talking about the love of God, which for whatever reason is like the mystery between Christ and the church. God correlated his love with us to the love that Jesus Christ has for the church. But in, in a lot of these ways, we have to admit that some of the stuff that's wrong with our wives, we did it. It's quiet. So how are you going to do stuff? I'm talking about, I've been married for almost 23 years. I know what I did to her. I don't need nobody to tell me. You ain't got to send me no email. You have to take responsibility for your love walk. 
even if your love walk identifies things in you that are destructive. You got to take responsibility for what you've done in the name of love, even if it's to your own spouse. The Bible says you got to love like your own flesh. But here's the problem. What if you don't like your flesh? How are you going to love her like your flesh and you can't stand the flesh you in? Well, how do we? Oh, God. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Furlough, please keep going. Point number three. You got all kinds of identity crises. And you're going to go marry somebody and spread it? Been there, done that. I didn't have an example of a, of a husband or a father that I saw before me. I married her because I didn't want to go to hell. Read between the... Okay. I had no reference point for how to handle a soul that was entrusted to my care. How to love and nurture and wash her by the things that I said. I didn't know how to do that. So some of that collateral damage is credited to my account because I didn't know how to love me yet. Come on, can I help y'all? Because we can't work. See, I'm done. We cannot, and I'm back on this, we can't worship in spirit and in truth without truth. We cannot. The the church culture is so superficial. We've trained ourselves how to be phony. Because we come up here with music. God don't want that. He wants you to go figure out how to deal with your spouse. Take them tongues, put them in your pocket and speak in English and wash her with the words that you've been anointed to speak over her. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now we got to be worth submitting to. Most women, oh God, why am I out here like this? Most women will not have an issue following you when they can trust your leadership. Can they trust you with their vulnerability in their heart? Can they? Can I flip it? Because it's equal dexterity up in here. Wives. Can your husband trust you with his vulnerability? Or will it be the next intel for the next 10 years worth of argument? It's an exchange. I have to love. My responsibility is to love you the same way he loved the church and gave himself up. So if any one of us has to sacrifice, it has to be me. Because the call, y'all are not... The call to lay down your life is on the husband. Am I in the Bible? 
that as long as I had it, the wording hasn't changed yet. I got to lay down my life for her because it is symbolic of God's laying down his life for the ecclesia. She has to submit to me. She has to be able to get up under the auspices of my leadership and the direction that I'm going in. But I have to be worthy of that submission. Men need respect. Women need security. Oh, God, please help me. I can't say that. There's children in here. I can't say that. You think because you're a good performer, that's all she needs. No, she needs you to have a job and a 401K and a 403B or whatever and some investments. And if you don't have listen, no, 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 no. And if you don't have it, she needs you to be working towards it. See, we spent our first couple of nights married in my car. But I said, just stick with me. I said, just, just hold on. I'm, I'm going somewhere. And if you can buy into this where we're at right now, I promise you, you won't be disappointed later. Now, we had the conversation. So she put her seatbelt on and we put the seat back and we went to sleep. But that's where we were. But 23 years later, we ain't at the Exxon still filling up the car so we can have heat all night. You got to be worthy of their followership. Now, let me, and I, I, last point, I'm done. God is precluding that we're Christians in all of this. He's not expecting the world to model this. So y'all stop looking at Jay-Z and Beyonce for how to be married. Or Will and Jada with their situationships and entanglements. They're not our example. Christ is our example for how to love our spouse. Say, Lord, help. Just ask him to help you. I mean, all you can, when you're confronted with truth, all you can do is either say yes or ouch. I mean, Lord, help. Because sometimes we're not going to feel like laying down our life because we're trying to find our own life. And that's part of the human experience. But the two now become one. Come on, married people. The two, you're one, you're one entity. We took divorce as an option off of the table when we realized we were already married. In those situations where we're, mm, I'm about to go, and you about to go, I'm about, you about to go. <laughs> this is my house, no. When we realized that we were not trying to figure out or negotiate whether or not we were connected enough to stay, we were already staying. Because we already made the decision. So now you get to work it out. And you'll have a lot to work out in that now. You'll have a lot. But this is where God's love is perfected. By this they will know. The world will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Not your tongues. Not your church attendance. Not even how you serve in ministry. They will know that you have been with me, that you know me by experience when they can see my love perfected in you. We done killed more people in the church than the world has ever killed. Yeah? We've damaged people in God's house. 
We've killed them. We're trying to rebuke stuff off of them that won't get rebuked because you did it. You brought about that resentment, that bitterness, that offense that they couldn't overcome. Because you didn't allow the love of God to be perfected in you. Last point. God's love, oh well, yeah. Number three, God's love enables us to walk as Christ walked. John 15 and 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Somebody say abide. That's two levels of abiding. First, you have to abide in Jesus Christ. Do y'all know that your prayers are only efficacious to the extent that you are in Jesus Christ? You can't step out of him and then go around talking about in the name of Jesus, in the name of That ain't going to work. It's, it's not, listen, y'all, it's not the addendum in the name of Jesus that does it. And I know sometimes I correct our intercessors. When they pray in every other sentence is in the name of Jesus. I don't want to hear that when I'm praying. First of all, I can't agree with that because I know better. It's not in the name. It's not saying in the name of Jesus that makes your prayer efficacious. It's praying in his stead, in his person, in his place. That's what in the name of Jesus means. It's like having the power of attorney, the right to use his power to legislate and establish as if he were actually there himself. That's why they could say, take up your bed and walk. They didn't have to say, in the name of Jesus, take up your bed. They didn't have to say all of that. Just get up. Because they recognize that they are moving in his stead. That's what it means in his name. Y'all trying to put a label up there and wondering why your prayer can't be heard. Because you're not, you're not coming into the knowledge of what it means to be in his stead. See, can he trust you? with that magnitude of his power. I'm telling you, it works by love. Throughout the scripture, we see where Jesus healed because of compassion. He was hurting over their ailment and healed them. Now, how are he going to heal by compassion through you and you ain't compassionate? You don't have no feelings for nothing. You can see somebody struggling with their car, with their carry thing, and won't even hold the door, but you won't work miracles. You are not sympathetic to the needs of humanity. God can't, he can't release virtue through somebody who can't at least feel what somebody's going through. We don't have a high priest that's not touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He had to feel it in his being and that qualified him to be our high priest because he was tempted at all points like we were, yet without sin. He had to experience it to become the faithful high priest. If you suffer with him, you, sounds like a love walk. To walk with God in a place to say, I'm only suffering through this because I love you. And because you are working in me a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So I got to carry this, not because it's mine, but because you need my heart to break over the people that I got to minister this healing to. See, come on, y'all. It's not, it's not labels. It's not titles. It's not, it's not superficial. Is your love experience with God? I'm done. Come get this stuff, please, so I know it's about done.
See, when you take it and then I feel like something triggers in my head that I'm finished. I think we need to focus on our love walk. The love of God is shut abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. The Holy Spirit will make you love the unlovables. He will. He does. All the time. He'll make you forgive when you don't want to forgive. He'll make you, and if, and if you've experienced it, it takes over you. It, it overrides your person. It overrides your disposition because your natural inclination could be, uh, that's all I'm going to say. See, I don't use violent language anymore. I stopped. But then here comes that love of God in your heart and it just, it tenderizes you towards people in a way. Now you can't be no fool. Know those who labor amongst you. Mark the one that causes division amongst you. Like there, there's, there's knowledge to it, but his love takes over. Let's stand. We need more of his love. Y'all, and just we just need to be real. I'm not implying that we're not all real. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. We're real. The Holy Spirit is in us. We are redeemed. We belong to the Lord. But we need to allow space for a deeper manifestation of the love of God in our heart because it determines all of these other relationships. It determines how we deal with our family. It determines how we deal in the house of God. It determines what caliber of person we are in the marketplace. Everything. It, it, our faith works by love, period. We cannot say we know him and not keep his commandments. And the only thing that would make you keep his commandments when they override your own will is love. I got to serve him a certain way because I love him. You got to serve him a certain way because he's worthy of your love. He's done stuff for you that nobody else could do. Do you know him like that? I got a couple of nods. It's all right. But do you really know him like that? Is it, is it enough? Is your experience with him enough to alter your personality to make it more conducive to what he needs versus the how you want to be? Does his love bring transformation into your life? Lift your hands up, Father. We thank you. We just want to, we want to love you. We want to love you. We want the perfected love of God in us. And we can't make it happen. We can't just confess it into happening. But we need to truly know you. We need to know you. And so I pray, Father, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ would come upon Ecclesia Global, that we would truly know you, that you would remove the scales from our eyes, that you would remove the veil from our hearts and that you would give us hearts of understanding so that the love of God would be made perfect in us, that we would love our spouses correctly, those of us that are single and preparing for marriage, that we would learn to love as Christ loves before we even get into the covenant, that we'd be willing to sacrifice our lives for our loved ones. That's what we're asking you to do in us. Make it real, make it authentic. 
We're seeking your face. We're seeking your face. In Jesus' name, is there anyone here? I was going to do an altar call today, but I'm not. We're going to leave now. Is there anyone here that wants to give their life to Jesus Christ?